Well, they got a new dance and it goes like this. Hello, everybody. This is Joey D from Joey D and the Starlighters. And I have a new book out called The Peppermint Twist Chronicles. And you're listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast with my pal, Robert Miller. Be here or be square. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 199 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Peggy March, a singer best known for her 1963 million-selling number one hit at age 15 called I Will Follow Him. The song reached number one in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Japan, and Scandinavia, and it was featured in movies like Sister Act. Peggy continues to perform all over the world, primarily in Europe. In fact, she's had a number of hits in the German market. And in the middle of this episode, as I do with all of my musician and singer guests, we are going to do a song fest where we've picked out a few of Peggy's best known songs and we'll play a bit of them and we'll talk about them and you'll get the backstories and nobody else does this in podcasts. And you know, I like to feature a song of mine in every episode of the podcast and I always try to make it relevant somehow to my guests. And in this case, I decided to do a little play on words. The song that I picked out is my song called March of the Diplomats from the album Trippin', the one that went to number one on Billboard. Why did I do that? Well, I've got Peggy March and my March together in one episode. I thought that worked. So Peggy March, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. You bet. So I got to ask you, you're 15 years old, okay? It's amazing to think of somebody doing a number one record at 15. What did it feel like? Actually, it was pretty surreal. Um, how much time have we got? 30 minutes? <laughs> or so? It's, it's, uh, I was actually 14 when I recorded it. I had been with RCA for a year. How did that happen? How did you get with RCA at age 14? I had uh, a manager at the time who discovered me at a wedding reception, which is, of course, not an unknown story, but um, he approached my father. I was 13 at the time, and, and uh, you know, he thought he could get me into the business, which is what I wanted. I, all I ever wanted to do was sing. So my dad said, absolutely not. And uh, I, I begged and I begged and I begged, and he... Uh, he said, okay. So he said, okay, to this guy who eventually down the line stole everything, or I should say borrowed. I usually say borrowed and never gave it back. Borrowed permanently, huh? But that's another story altogether. But uh, I did get to RCA. He got me there. He got me an audition audition with Hugo and Luigi, who had produced uh, The Lion Sleeps Tonight, as you are well aware. Okay. The Tokens version. 
My piano player did not show up who was going to accompany me. So I sang everything a cappella. I don't remember the song I sang, but they obviously were impressed. We signed the contract that day, although I was not legal in any way. Um, but my name is on the contract. My maiden name was on the contract. And uh, I joined I joined RCA, which was really, was really, really special. We recorded a song called Little Me that year, which did nothing, but it was from a musical uh, called Little Me with starring Sid Caesar. And uh, not long after that, in December of 62, I recorded I Will Follow Him. And actually, as I walked into their office, they said to me, here, Peggy, here's your hit. That's <laughs> exactly what they said to me. I went home, took it home and learned it. They were right. But I got to ask a question. Go back. You're 13 years old. You're performing at a wedding or you're just in the audience at a wedding. How did that happen? Cousin's wedding. So I, I was free entertainment, man. That's all I, I sang for everybody. Birthdays, weddings. It didn't matter to me. Huge Italian family. So, you know, it was it was uh, pretty normal for me to get up and sing a song or two. And that was OK. Yeah, that was just something I did. Um, and wow. Man who eventually, who actually saw me at the wedding, approached my father and he married into my family, if you will. So, boy. So, let me ask this He takes you to RCA. Does RCA have anybody your age on the roster at that time? No, there is nobody my age. I mean, I will follow him. I'm still the youngest female to ever have a number one hit record. So, unbelievable. And they didn't say to the guy, like, you know, take her back and come back here in a couple of years, you know, something like that. I don't know. I doubt it. Because, as I said, at that time, we actually signed the contract. Uh, a lot of us were teenagers at that time. I just happened to be the youngest. I mean, Leslie was a teenager. In fact, the uh, the tokens were teenagers when they started. So uh, it was it was a, a pretty normal thing for teenagers to be to be to to have had records released at that time it was it was it was the norm if you will of course nobody was in the situation I was in uh, I was the only one that was uh, underage in the state of Pennsylvania that had the Coogan law which which is the only other state that had that at that time was California and the Coogan law sort of protects minors from from family taking their money basically whatever they've earned uh as what happened to jackie Coogan. Right. so the uh, whatever who i were always being protected from was not my parents because my parents would have held every penny of mine but it did not protect me from my manager who was also my guardian so he was he oh, was Yes, right. So that's not allowed anymore either. So I really got screwed, <laughs> needless to say. <laughs> uh, you know what? I want to talk about that in a minute, okay? Because that's an interesting part of your story. But go back. Okay, here you are. You're 13, 14 years old, maybe just turning 15. And you're at RCA. They present you with this new this song. Then they say, this is going to be your hit record. Now, I right. did a little bit of research. That song was actually recorded before your version of it am i correct yes it was what i understand is that in 1961 someone named frank porcel recorded an instrumental version called chariot right 
And then I understand that Petula Clark recorded a version in 1962. Right. Okay, so my research isn't that bad. Well, so they, they came to you, and why did they then say, you know, we want to release this again, and we want it to be your song? How did that happen? Petula Clark's version was only was only popular in Europe. She did not come to the States until after my record was already released. So I had a heads up, obviously, uh, which I absolutely had nothing to do with. I must admit, I was a minor and my, my opinion uh, mattered uh, zilch, uh, absolutely nothing. And uh, being a minor at that time, uh, was very difficult because my opinions were not respected. They were they were barely heard to begin with. And uh, I really had no say in the matter. I was just brought to the studio, hear Peggy sing. And that's what I did, pretty much. All right. So you recorded the song. Right. And then they released it, obviously. And did it become a massive hit overnight or did it take time? No, January 22nd is when it was released. Um the fun story is, is that I, I was outside, living outside of uh, Philadelphia, which is where I was born. And uh, I was still in school, obviously. I was in high school. And so Friday nights, we listened to WABC in New York. And that was our, or pretty much everybody's barometer as to where the song was going to go, most likely, because of what what number it eventually reached and uh for about three weeks there was always number two and it was number two behind he's so fine and uh i was washing the dishes and i was listening in my mother's kitchen and uh when it when the number two number came up the song came up i was standing there in the middle of the kitchen and it was not i will follow him so my first thought was well okay it's off the chart somewhere so I guess it's not going to go any further. And then they, of course, ah, number one. And there it was. And I was standing there, very, very surreal. It was bizarre. I'm standing there in the middle of the kitchen with a dish dishcloth in my hand, drying dishes. And I will follow him as number one on WABC. And of course, from then on, it just continued to, to, uh, to go forward and it, it uh, eventually became number one throughout the country yeah you know i had my friend cousin brucey on this podcast yeah. and i'm thinking to myself it must have been cousin brucey that was on the air when you heard that it went to number one it could very well have been him uh obviously like i said living in in, in philadelphia uh we got a lot of the east coast uh uh radio shows and we we heard most of them and of course, it was a big deal. And I was a freshman in high school and uh, I was still 14. By the time it went to number one in, in throughout the country in April uh, 28th, I believe, uh, I had turned 15. My birthday is in March. <laughs> yes. And uh, actually, Hugo Luigi named me because uh, my Italian name was just way too long and uh, they, they tried ways of shortening it. And uh, nothing seemed to fit. So they said, when's your birthday? And I said, March. Perfect. So that's how See, I got That's March. how it happened, huh? So I know your nickname was Little Peggy March. Did they release the record under that name? 
Yeah, that wasn't my idea either. In fact, I hated it. Uh, they called me little because I was 4'10 at the time. I was 13, so I was still growing, obviously. And uh, that's how I got little Peggy March. I have since uh, gotten rid of it. Actually, when gotten I turned 16, I got rid of it, yeah. Okay, well, it was just interesting because, you know, I know that you didn't love the name, but it was very a, a, a different kind of way to, you know, pronounce and put somebody's name forward. So it was distinctive. That's the word I'm searching for. Well, yeah, it was. And I'm, and I'm thankful now, needless to say. But uh, at that age, I didn't want to be little. I wanted to be big. So. All right. So you're in, you're in like high school at the time. You must have intimidated all the boys in the high school. I mean, how many guys go out with a girl that's got a number one record in the country, huh? Well, zero, actually. (laughs) I don't know if they were intimidated. I didn't find out about this until many, many, many years later. I mean, I always considered myself extremely homely and, uh, you know, not not much of a catch. And, you know, I was a teenager and I was really very shy and. Uh, so it, it didn't surprise me that I had no dates. Um, my friends later told me that, uh, who I'm still in contact with, a whole bunch of us were about seven of us, and uh, that they were intimidated. And there was there was a bit of, of, of jealousy. And there was, I don't know, it was all kinds of stuff going on. And I all I wanted to do was belong. I just wanted to be part of my high school and be like a normal kid. Of course, I wasn't a normal kid. I had a number one record in the United States, which was a big deal. But I was doing what I loved, and I got to do that where a lot of other people did not. So I just liked where I was at the time, except on Saturday nights when we had our dances. And, you know, I didn't. I mean, now here come the violins. Uh, You know, I didn't go, I didn't, wasn't asked to dance and I, you know, I walked home alone and all that other stuff that went on. But it's, it's a part of growing up, I guess, to most people, just mine was a little bit different than everybody else's. I can imagine. Well, you know, this was the early part, the spring of 1963, kind of before the whirlwind came from Great Britain. Because uh, the Beatles came out in '64, it was it was such a different time in music. You had so many great groups out there, you know, the Four Seasons, and you mentioned right. the Tokens, and so many other, and Leslie Gore, you mentioned her as well. And you know, some people look back at at that era as kind of a quaint era, but I loved that era, and I think so many people did too. Yeah, it was great. It was actually the end of rock and roll. Uh, and then, of course, the beginning of the English invasion. And it, it was it was very special. And um, it, it really, for, for songs, they were they were very recognizable. You knew what song it was at the introduction. You could sing along. The lyrics were were uh, uh, understandable and, and everybody sang and they still do that. That's what's so funny. The whole audience just stands up and sings and it's it's a wonderful thing. Um, I really was very, very lucky to be part of that era. You know, I think you're right. For a song like yours that was so well known and is such a great song, you could probably stand on stage and let the audience just sing the song. There are times when I can do that. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is Robert Miller. Live at Steel Stacks is the new five-song EP by my band, Project Grand Slam. It absolutely captures the band at the top of our game. 
Musicians and reviewers alike have praised the recording, saying things like, captivating music, Project Grand Slam burns down the house, virtuoso musicians, and such a great band. You can stream live at Steel Stacks on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or any of the other streaming platforms. And you can download it from the PGS store. The links are all in the show notes to this episode. Please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so yet. You can do so and you can listen to our 100 plus episodes just by going to our website at followyourdreampodcast.com. So join me each episode as we go on a world tour to my listeners in 200 countries. I want to thank you for listening and keep on rocking. All right, we've been teasing about this song for so long in this interview. I've got to play it now. So we're going to go to that second part of this episode. And we're playing now your famous number one hit, I Will Follow Him. Tell me now, here it is, so many years later, what are your emotions? What are your feelings about that song now? Uh, personally, it's not like I don't have any, but I've done it so often that it's I can, I can think of something else and do it. You know, it's one of those things. But what I notice, and it's not just it's not just here, but I do the song in Germany as well, because people do know it. It was number one in Germany as well in 63. And this is one of the reasons why I went there at that time was because of I Will Follow Him. And I became a part of the German German market, basically. So now I'm a, I'm a domestic artist there. But at that time, I was American, did not speak the language, didn't understand the language. But I see people of all ages, young and old, and, and at concerts that I do now, and they love it. And they, too, know all the words. It, never ceases to amaze me how popular this song is. The funny part is, is that some people come up to me and ask me what other songs from Sister Act I sing until I, <laughs> until I explain to them, uh, wait a minute, <laughs> just, just a second, let me explain this. And especially the younger, the younger people who don't know from music from the 60s. And it's, it's very funny. And I, I, I always laugh about that, but it's like, oh my God. You must be old. Well, <laughs> there you go. You know, it is funny because I, I have two grown daughters and I used to have fights with them all the time because they would say to me songs that they heard in the movies and they would go, oh, this is from such and such movie. And I would say, no, 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 you're missing the point. This was 10, 20 years earlier. No, no, daddy, that it was in the movie. I said, yeah, but that's how they know it. Right. I know it's the truth. And I, I, it's, it's amazing. It never ceases to amaze me, the longevity of this particular song and a lot of other songs from the sixties. It's, it's really, really amazing. Did you ever 
record the song in German or in another language? You know, the Beatles did that with at least one of their songs. I recorded it in Japanese the same year. It went to number one in Japan as well. It was called I Will Follow Him, but it had a, a, a Japanese lyric to it. And uh, I did record it in German many, many years later. I never did really like the lyric to that that they put to it. I recorded it. Let me think what other languages I might have recorded it in. I think Italian also, now that I think about it. Because at that time, RCA was an international label, and they sent me everywhere. Uh, apparently, I was adopted by a lot of countries, and uh, Germany became a real, uh, can I say this? I don't know, a, a, a big deal for me eventually, and Japan. So I was going to Germany and Japan all the time, at least twice a year, if not more, and was I was still in school. But th that continued until the 80s and Germany is I still there I have a whole different career there than I do here and it's I sing in German I speak German I you know I do all kinds of things in German and and I've, and I've spent quite a bit of time there uh, next year I'm I'm uh, of course I will follow him will be 60 years old next year which is and the youngest female to have a number one record if nobody breaks it until then so that record will stand and uh, so there'll be a lot of celebrations in Germany on my behalf. And uh, there's a book coming out. And I mean, all kinds of weird stuff that I never, ever expected in my life to have that kind of thing going on. So you just, my, my, my mother-in-law, God rest her soul, used to say, you just have to live long enough. And she's right. <laughs> yeah, look at that. It's like the gift that keeps on giving, huh? Well, That's yeah, fun. I'm extremely thankful. Wow. All right, let's go to the second song. Your follow-up to I Will Follow Him was a song called I Wish I Were a Princess. I wish I were a princess. I wish I were a princess. And if I were a princess, I'd make you my prince. I wish I were a princess. So beautiful to see. I passed the greatest law in his story. So tell me a little bit about that one. Okay, I was 15. I did not want to be a princess. Um, I really wanted a song like, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? However, uh, Hugo and Luigi and George Weiss, who wrote the song, uh, insisted, of course, and being 15, I had no say in the matter whatsoever. So I never really liked that song. And it was, it was okay, melodically. I thought it was fine, but again i i my opinion was never heard and that's the way it was then it was just that way and i being very young uh having a very uh headstrong manager who didn't allow me to have any opinions you know it's only because of me that you're where you are and you know that kind of thing so i i was dealing with that as well no i never really liked i wish i were a princess however it was in orange is the new black believe it or not it was in, hold on, Hairspray. The original Hairspray was in there also. It established the 
Deborah Harry character. So, I mean, it did get some uh, some mileage out of it. it was was bizarre. And my versions, you know, so it's like, oh, my God, why in God's name did they pick this? And some people do like it. I just don't happen to be one of them. <laughs> do you still sing it in concert or not? No, I don't. I don't. Okay. I don't. I never liked it. So it was like uh, the only time I did do it, I did it in Bangkok when I was there in, in, in 2019. And they insisted. OK, fine. We, they insisted. OK, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. So I was happy when it was over. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to make you sing it on this podcast. Oh, now, thanks. So. <laughs> I do appreciate it. All right. Let's go to the last one. This is the next song that you released called Hello, Heartache, Goodbye, Love. Tell us about that. That's a great song. Uh, I really was able to, to sink my teeth into it. It had highs and lows. It was nice and rangy. It's just what I really liked to sing. And uh, I was still 15, so that was still 63. Um, I love that song, and that I do all the time. I really just love it. I love it. It's a great, great song. So I was lucky to have that. Unfortunately, by that time, the end of 63, um, RCA was was having trouble with its promotion department. So it wasn't the famous promotion department that had been a few years before. Uh, it was breaking up. It wasn't under good management anymore. And, and uh, RCA was not the respected label that it had been. So I was caught up in all of that, still having nothing to say, mind you. But, of course, I noticed these things going on around me. And uh, by that time, I was a sophomore in high school. <laughs> you know, so I still had a Latin test and an English test the oh next my day. God. You got a number one record, but you got a you got a Latin test that you got to study for. That's so. That's yeah, such an exactly. image. All right, tell me about that scoundrel that took all your money. I want to hear that story because it's such an a you know a, a, I, I hate to say it, but it's almost a common story in the entertainment business yeah. about somebody ripping off an artist. So what happened with you? It happens a lot, unfortunately. Uh, the 60s, we were extremely vulnerable because a lot of us were minors. I, even more so than everybody else, because I was only 15. So uh, my parents could not help me in any way. It had to be my decision to finally get rid of him. Uh, there was no way that I could prove anything because I had no no hands on any kinds of contracts. I had no idea what I was getting for anything. I have no idea what I was getting from RCA. I had no idea about anything, nor was I ever did this man, whose name I will not mention, he he never let me see anything. And uh, like, you know, so you what never do you got know? paid anything or how did no, that, you, you had an cent. empty bank account or what? I never had a bank account. He had access, his, his, his being manager as well as guardian, he had access to everything. Years later, I remember one of the heads of RCA coming up to me and saying, uh, you know, how, how long did you have those braces that you that we paid for? 
And I said, oh, my God, I never got braces. So there was $25,000 that he had spent on something, but it wasn't on my braces. So uh, this went on until I was 18. And uh, I never when he finally left, all I had was $500. He declared bankruptcy and I never got a cent other than the $500. That's it. So did you ever go after him? Did you ever sue him or just kick him out of your life? At that time, he had declared bankruptcy immediately, like the next day. And after that, there was there was nothing I could do. And I had no proof. I had no paperwork. I had nothing. Well, wait a minute. You had a million selling number one song. That's true. So you had something there. Okay. I did have, right. I had the contract with RCA, but I couldn't prove how many were sold. Uh, I would have had to go into their legal department, obviously. But again... Uh, me being the age of 18, by the time I had to go to court, which was an awful experience, I must admit. And it was like, okay, geez, I really don't want to do this. And I don't want to go through this. And, uh, you know, it's I just uh, walked out and having his declaring bankruptcy, uh, there was nothing I could sue, because he insisted he had no money. So I have no idea where it went. I know he promoted other artists at the time. And any question I ever asked uh, was like, it's none of my business. Well, I guess the only consolation is you're not alone. There were so many artists that I could name and think of that had similar experiences. They had great, great success, and yet they received nothing or very little from it. Exactly. People just ripped them off. And, you know, I remember the story, uh, Billy Joel had a manager, and I think he was related and somehow a brother-in-law or something like that, who took millions from him. So it happened a lot. I know it's a sad story. But the good thing is you've got the number one record. You've got the gold record on your wall. okay? and you're the one that everybody comes to see in concert. So you came out with something very, very valuable. No doubt. Absolutely. No doubt. All right. So tell us what is on the agenda now for Peggy March. What are you going to be doing next? Well, I'll be going back to Germany in November. I'll be recording a new CD there in German and maybe one or two songs in English. I have written a number one song in the in the uh, in the in the uh, in Europe uh, in the eighties. It was and it was called "When the Rain Begins to Fall." So I co-wrote that. I've been pretty much still doing what I'm doing. It's I happen to like my job. I really do like my day job. This is my day job. And uh, I like traveling. So uh, I was extremely blessed in a lot of different ways. Um, and I'm still doing it. And I, I'm thankful, extremely thankful. I do a couple of things here as well. Every once in a while, I don't know, there's something going on in Pittsburgh or down here in Florida, the villages or whatever. And I'm invited to do that as well. So I have to I have to juggle sometimes as to where I am, when and and uh, everybody knows this. And that's fine. I don't mind it. I like I said, I like my job. So if I have to travel here and there and everywhere, that's where I go. Good for you. I wish everybody could see your face because you got this great smile on your face uh, as we're going through the history here. It just shows that you've come out of this, you know, on on the plus side, as I like to say. And uh, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you. And 60 years since that number one hit is coming up. Isn't that remarkable? And you're still the youngest ever to have that number one. Stevie Wonder was the youngest male. He, I think he was 13 when he had, what was it, Butterfingers? Fingertips. Fingertips, I know. 
Uh, so yeah, but I am the youngest female. I'm still the youngest, female. at least until next year. I'd like to hold the record now. That would be super. All right. You you didn't like being a princess, but I think of you as a queen. Okay. Oh, so we'll do it that way. I want to thank you so much. Uh, we've had Peggy March as my guest here on this podcast. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I thank you for the invitation. Nice talking to you. All right. And now we're going to listen again to the song that started the episode. It's my song called March of the Diplomats. I want to thank you so much for listening, and we will see you all in the next episode. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com. Stop.